Hello, everybody. Apologies for the past two videos. I think they had some background noise. You could hear some fan going. I apologize for that. I'm going to try to cut down on the background noise, guys, because I do not want that to be a factor in the video. Now, moving on to today's video, we are going to talk about Chelsea's preseason game versus Charlotte FC. Is it time to panic for Chelsea? Is this the end of the world? We cannot even beat an MLS team. Let me say this. No. Do not panic. Everything is okay. This is very easily explainable. And I'm very much, you know, anticipating that these problems will be taken care of before Chelsea actually starts to play matches in the Premier League. Now, what were the main problems? What were the main issues that created this sort of situation? Well, first of all, you go, you can start at the end and work backwards. Penalties. Anything can happen in penalties. You could say, arguably, there are plenty of teams, um, that have a good chance against Chelsea or a good chance against many clubs when it comes to penalties, especially when you're having, you know, players new in the squad taking penalties, especially when it's preseason and you're not really fully maybe have your penalty form all the way polished as you would through the season, you know, your spot kicking form, all these other things. You know, we saw Gallagher's kick basically went straight to the keeper. Didn't really look like, you know, whether it was the nerves of the situation or whether it was just a missed kick. You know, that's not something that's going to happen in the season. He's either going to be taking better penalties regularly or he's not going to be one of the players who takes a penalty. You know, pretty much all the Chelsea players were getting in to have certain... Um, you know, chances to play. It wasn't really a solidified squad. So, you know, Tuchel kind of picked whatever order. He probably was curious and just wanted to see different people take penalties. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, Mendy, as great of an open play keeper as he is, he's not twitchy enough and fast enough to move far in the net without giving away what direction he's going to move in. He can dive to one side of the net, but to do that, he has to start diving really early, which means the other player can read him and pass to the other side. Um, honestly, I liked in the past when they subbed Mendy out for Kepa in situations like this. Um, even though we don't have Kepa anymore, so that's not really an option. But um, even though a lot of those penalty shootouts didn't work out well, there's a difference between having the ability and not having the ability to dive quickly to the other side of the net and save a penalty. Now, this is really not why um, Chelsea lost this game. The real reason, and the reason isn't even the Trevor Chalaba handball, which gave, you know, kind of gifted Charlotte a goal at the end when they, when they realistically, you know, had no business getting one or earning one. You know, it's his fault. The arm was way outside the body. And, um, 
you know, but that's just a bit of, that's just a bit of poor luck. That's just a bit of, you know, they're just out there playing. They're not thinking, they're not thinking about, you know, keep your arms down when you're doing everything. Keep your arms in a position where it's close to your body, where it's not going to be way out and get struck by the ball. But it's not even because of that. Really, it's just because Chelsea didn't capitalize on the plethora of chances available throughout the game. And one of the reasons that Chelsea were unable to capitalize on a lot of the chances they had was the formation selection, combined with the squad selection a little bit. You know, they played the 3-4-3, which we talked about in the previous videos. And the funny thing about the 3-4-3, in fact, is that the... um, the 4-4-2 is actually a pretty good formation at countering the 3-4-3. The reason being that um, with the other team, in order, in order for you basically to be stretched, think about the 3-4-3 lining up against a 4-4-2. Basically, you always want to have... You know, to a degree, you want to have one striker less than your opponent's defenders. And that, you know, it seems like that would favor both sides. You have the two strikers for the three at the back of Chelsea, and then you have the three, you know, front-end players. Or not not strikers, you know what I mean. Front-end players on the back four of Charlotte FC. But one of the issues there is um, basically that if you have three going against a back four, you can have problems with the concentration of the chances, especially when the opponent's playing really narrow. If they play really narrow, they have the left defender and the right defender on your side two players, and they have two players on your central, you know, your striker. Now, this pressure is only alleviated if the wingbacks get all the way up. So what happens is, you know, and if and let's say the wingbacks do get all the way up, so you have five in the front. Now you have four defenders, but you have five players in the back. But because they're playing a 4-4-2, they have four players in the next level. The left and the right mids of Charlotte FC can track the wingbacks back. You still have two midfielders to guard the two midfielders of Chelsea. And then you still maintain, you know, the three strikers or the three frontline players versus the four backline defenders of Charlotte FC. Now, this allows them to play really narrow. When I was watching, you could see that a lot of the chances Chelsea were getting were on the periphery of the net in terms of they were in the side, they were either in the half spaces or on the wing. They weren't central chances. And this is a big issue with um, with why they didn't score as many goals. They had a lot of chances. They could have scored more with a little bit more precise finishing. And I'm sure on some level they're not trying as hard as they should be trying, which, you know is a bit of a, you know, a bit of a disappointment considering, you know, I know this is preseason, but at the same time, you want to go out there, put your best foot forward and kind of show 
the MLS, the difference between the Premier League and the MLS, which we didn't do. And clearly Tuchel also, you know, he's just trying all of his players. So he didn't, you know, he didn't go out there really trying to put in a great performance. He went out there just trying to learn about his players. And, um, you know, so basically, if the, if the wingbacks are up to alleviate the pressure... The left mid and right mid of the four four two can track back and can basically cause a six two two formation, you know, give or take. That's still very oppressive um, to the three four three and still causes there not to be a lot of space centrally. Now, the the kicker in all this is not having the combination of Chilwell and Reese James on the field at the same time. I hate, hate, hate seeing that 3-4-3 with Alonso as the left wing. It's just, that's not a position he can play anymore efficiently. I mean, there was a, there was a chance at the beginning of the game that uh, Charlotte FC got where a ball went to the far post and a player just had a free header on net. And that's Alonso's player. Like, Everybody else is guarded, and Alonso looks at it, sees that he gets a free header, and he doesn't even come back. He actually goes away from the net. He kind of just goes, okay, well, Mendy, you're going to get that. I'm going to actually start moving up now. Because he knows as part of that position, he has to get way, way up the field. But it's going to take him a long time, and he's older, and he's slower, and yada, yada. It's just the 3-4-3 is only worth playing if you have the outrageous outrageously good wingbacks. That's the only reason. If you have two of the best wingbacks in the world on the pitch at the same time, then that formation is worth playing because you get the most out of those players. But, you know, in many other styles of formations, you know, you could say any a bunch of variations of the 4-4-2 or the 4-3-3, you can still have you know, your left and your right back be attacking. Normally, it's just one at a time. But, you know, that's just... That's part of the equation here that the Tuchel's going to have to think about is, you know, is it necessarily worth it to play the 3-4-3 just because your wingbacks are awesome, even though there are other, you know, there can be other natural issues with it. Now, if you want to talk about a team that plays the 3-4-3 really, really well in the way, you know, I think it should be, you can look at Tottenham. Now, they play the version that's the fortress version, not the, you know, oppressive, trying to press version, more or less. I mean, they do press it away, but more of the time they get the five on the back line really, really solid, the midfield solid, and... Even sometimes some of the forwards come back to help on defense. But at the front of that, you have three th incredibly strong and versatile offensive players in Harry Kane, Hyungmin's son, and a third person, which normally has been Kuliszewski, who has been perfect in that role because he always picks out a great pass and he makes the right play, even if he isn't the most physically dominant player. I really, really like watching Kuliszewski. I think he was an incredible pickup. Don't know how Juventus weren't playing him or getting the most out of him. But he clearly is, 
Kuliszewski is amazing in open space. He's amazing when, when given those options, he knows exactly what he wants to do and how to do it. And at such a young age, I think Tottenham will be really exciting this year. Even if all the players behind those three guys are more boring, that's all they need. Those three guys, you know, Kane, Youngman, Son, and Kuliszewski can easily go through four defenders. Not saying it'll happen every time, but they can go through four defenders. They can hypothetically go through five defenders if they can get you to bunch up in a certain way that's um, defensively unsound. They can take advantage of that. Now, Chelsea doesn't have three offensive players of the same quality combined. Now, it's not that... I think some of our players are better than Kuliszewski, or at least on the same level, especially when you talk about Sterling, when you talk about a couple of the other guys. But, you know, Harry Kane and Youngman Son obviously are on kind of a different level. And that's part of why Tottenham's 3-4-3 really works, is because... Those guys are so good. When the, when you break on the offense, if your wingbacks aren't incredible and aren't going to get up there and help your offense right away, the entire offense is basically up to three guys. The mids, like, don't really, you know, they can help an attack, but that puts a lot of pressure on them. As, again, we talked about, the 3-4-3's weakness is those two midfielders left alone all the time. And also the fact that when you play a five-back, if your wing-backs don't get up fast, you only have five players attacking. Um, or even less, if your two midfielders don't attack, you have like three players attacking. And then the wing-backs get up, that's five. You know, whereas a lot of formations are more attacking, only leave four at the back. The 3-4-3, three, three, sometimes it leaves five. Sometimes it will leave the back three plus the two midfielders. So it's relatively defensive, but there's also a lot of running involved because that little trapezoidal block of the back three and the two midfielders in the middle, that only really covers the center of the pitch in front of goal. It still leaves a ton of space on the wings for the opponent to hit the ball into and run onto. So um, regardless, it makes me really exciting about, excited about the Kunde and Koulibaly signings because I think... Part of this too, and I've, I've heard this, I don't know if it's true, but a lot of people said that when Tuchel is making a lot of these signings, he's thinking about possibly trying to play a 4-4-2 instead of a 3-4-3. I really like that idea. If we can get the back four um, solidified to the point where a four in the back is possible, I think that that's a great idea. Because not only, you know, as we just talked about, the 4-4-2 is really good at countering the 3-4-3. You know, the strength of the 4-4-2 is those four midfielders across the center. Now, one could argue the weakness is that you only have the two center midfielders. But if the left and the right mid play far enough back and, and more centrally, then you do really have extra coverage. You know, I think the thing in the 4-4-2, I guess that's a slight weakness, is because there are no central players, the opponent can hypothetically play through balls through you, but, you know, that's something that's going to be up to the individual team to actually be able to know when that's coming and step in front of that. There's opportunities to block those passes, it's just hypothetically no one's standing in the center of the pitch, you know, above the the gap in the um, in the defense. Like, 
in a hypothetical sense, it's good to defend in triangles because you have, you know, two players behind you and then the player in front is responsible for passes that would go through those two players if you're offset in between the players. If you're not offset in between the players, then hypothetically, they could kick it through two lines of players at once if these gaps are lining up. But again, this is something where the team should be offsetting this. Like the players should be, if you have your back four during the game, the, the mids should be shifting over so that they're covering gaps and things like that. It shouldn't just be like on a piece of paper where you see the big line through the whole formation of empty space. So I think really the formation selection had a lot to do with their issues in terms of, and, and let me put it, you know, they weren't really trying, they weren't really, this wasn't squads that were really well put together. It was kind of Tuchel just throwing everyone out there and just seeing what happens. Um, <clears throat> you know, basically, basically, I think with a little more effort and attention to detail, this wouldn't even have been a game. They could have been up, you know, three or four if they just were a little bit more, you know, picked a better squad, had a better, you know, game plan, maybe picked a different formation. I think the formation was huge. Just, I think they disadvantaged themselves with the formation. To, to win a match in a 3-4-3 against a 4-4-2, you have to beat them completely and soundly, and you probably have to work harder than the team playing in a 4-4-2. They, have a, they can defend with a low block of eight that can easily turn into six at the back with two midfield, and they're not outnumbered at all. And if they get a little bit of striker help too, you know, forget about it. And just that wingback position as well, it's, there's so much placed on the shoulder. With the 3-4-3, that's really what it comes down to. You know, when Chelsea won the Champions League with that formation... Reese James and Ben Chilwell were firing on all cylinders. And, um, you know, those guys were incredible, you know, throughout large periods of that season and that Champions League run. You know, so that's, that's the key right there is if you have, you know, incredible world-class wingbacks that are going to play every game, like, sure, you can play that formation. But again... If those wingbacks are also solid enough to play normal left and right back on a back four, that's also an option. You know, Chelsea could play a 4-4-2 where the two midfielders basically um, stay back with the two central defenders and create a diamond back four. You know, you have one of them shift out wide, one of them stay central, and then the defenders the same way. One of the central defenders go central, one of them shift out wide. And both the left and the right back can attack, making inverted runs or, you know, they kind of can supplement that, um, the normally the midfield pressure that would move up the field and put a little bit more defensive responsibility on the actual midfielders. And then you're basically playing with the front four because your left and your right mid have freedom to move up into the space in front of them, but also because they start farther back. That's a key part of the 4-4-2 is the left and the right mid start centrally in the field when you're defending in the low block of eight 
they start farther back. So sometimes the you put the opponent's back line in a bit of a pickle because the left and the right um, defenders are immediately engaged if those players step forward, the left and the right mid step forward into space. However, when they're sitting back, sometimes the left and the right back can get really narrow because they're really concerned about the two central strikers that the other team is playing. Now, when a ball goes into the space and the left mid and the right mid go to get that ball, that's the left and the right back of the other team's responsibility of their back four, which immediately stretches that back line very thin, which provides a lot of opportunity. And that happening very quickly provides a lot of opportunity centrally. And because those players are moving into open space, it's not, they're not as close to the other team to the point where it gives them a lot of chances to cut it back centrally find those triangles to, you know, back pass towards the middle, then they play a through ball or a very, you know, tight pass into the strikers. And in that moment, the two strikers are isolated on the back two of the other team. And if they're not, if the other back is in, then the right mid on the other side or the left mid on the other side, depending on how you did this in your head, the mid on the other side will be free. They'll have a free run-in on net if all three defenders shift over. So, and then, you know, from there, you know, normally I guess in this, in a 4-4-2, geez, someone literally has a plane. Sorry, guys. We don't know what the fuck this is. That's an airplane. That's literally a fucking airplane. Apologies, guys. That's some bullshit. Um, Yeah, I'm going to cut down on background noise. Here comes 10 planes. Fucking ridiculous. All right. Anyways. Thing is so loud. I literally looked outside to see if I could see it. I couldn't see it. Anyways, normally the left and the right mids would make some more inverted runs. Or try to, like... You know, they they operate within the space, but then they cut in when it's opportune. So if you look at it that way, the left and the right back, if it was Reese James and Chilwell, they'll have the option to do the opposite. Wherever the other player doesn't go, if they go out wide, they can cut in the middle to be that back option and take like a nice just rip from outside the box. Or if that left mid or right mid cuts it inside, tries to get a little bit more of a central overload, then, you know, this is perfect because if that, if that outside defender follows them in, then the, you know, the left back or the right back runs outside completely free. You can give a ball to them, quick cut back into the box, and those are some really dangerous chances. Um, when I watched this game, to me, it was all about Offensive chances created were too far outside of the posts. You want to be shooting from within the distance of the posts, if possible. Because that gives you basically the full view of net. Now, every, I mean, we talk about this. Every team wants to cover that area. And everybody knows this. Um, But you still have to create chances there. So often how you create it is by providing... 
enough width at the right time to stretch the other team in the center. Um, and that's what Chelsea really didn't have the ability to do. They were they were finding opportunities on the outside where they were open, but they were left open on purpose. Um, I think the thing about the four four two that can be really dangerous centrally is the two strikers that can be very tight to each other and they can play off of each other. So it no longer is good enough to just have two defenders there in the middle. It's not two defenders versus one defender in the middle. It's 2v2. And if the and again, if those side players come in, it just takes the left mid or the right mid pushing up ever so slightly to get them to stretch out again. Now, with the 3-4-3, you might think that's easier because you have three players already in the middle. And then the left, and then the wing back, the left wing back, and the right wing back can stretch the team out, and it's an overload. It's a five on four. Oh my gosh! You know there should be a free man. That's not really how it works because the left wing back and the right wing back it takes them way longer to get all the way up the pitch to actually stretch the other team's defense, and they can be followed by other players because they're defenders. They can be more easily followed by, um, you know, the other team's midfielders or whatever it is. You can see them coming. You can understand, oh, I kind of match up this with this guy. When I'm playing offense, this guy covers me, so let me cover this guy as they make their run that's telegraphed and I can see the whole way, as opposed to the left mid and right mid at any moment are ready to run into that space and immediately challenge that area, which will pull the left back and right back out and create uh, even numbers in the middle. And everyone knows even numbers basically favors the offense because all these formations are doing all the time is just trying to scheme a way to have more defenders than offensive players in front of your own net. And, you know, and with vice versa, with the offense, if you get even numbers, that's about as good as you can hope, unless you're literally, you know, if you want to cause an overload, it's very hard because even if you concentrate a lot of players in one area, if a team is smart, they'll box you in. They'll box a bunch of players in and be able to cover, you know, five or six players with only four players because you have those four players in the correct position. Um, doing overloads requires, if you want to do an overload successfully, you have to the offensive players involved have to understand exactly what they're trying to do to the defending players and exactly what kind of positions you have to be completely reacting off of what the defenders are doing if you want to create an overload. Because if you're just running a bunch of players into a certain area, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, if there's four players on a pitch all standing right next to each other that are offensive players, you can put three defenders in front of them in a line facing the net and what's the benefit of having those four players standing right next to each other? There is no benefit. They'd have to explode outwards, creating those players to cover them over a longer distance. Like, you have to react, you know, in a way that reflects what the defense is doing. So, anyways, kind of a frustrating one. Wish that Chelsea could have had a little bit of a better showing. It's nice that Pulisic got to score um, in America, but in any case, um, 
still really excited about the season. Still really excited to see what the team looks like with Kunde and Koulibaly in the fold. Um, Sterling looked pretty good. You know, he did um, get touched and he dove, which I thought was funny. I don't know if that was really a dive or if he really fell over, if he really got pushed. It's hard to tell, like, playing, you know, football in America, like, the game is a lot more physical. I know that for sure. Um, I don't know if that's reflected in the professional level or if it was just in my, like, shitty local leagues. Like, everyone, you know, kicks the shit out of each other, but... um, in any case, you know, he didn't really get a chance to do anything. He didn't really get a chance to, you know, show what he's made of. I I also thought Pulisic looked decent at, you know, at right wing. You know, maybe I'm crazy, but maybe we see Sterling Mount Pulisic to start. I also still think Sterling Mount Werner would be ridiculous, honestly. Um, I'm just a little bit... I don't know. There's something about Kai Havertz. It's, I know that he's smart. I know that he plays good balls and stuff. But, but does that make up for the fact that he, you know? And let me put it this way: he's extremely physically talented. He's one of the best footballers in the world. Like best, you know, two thousand, three thousand, however many, ten thousand, like top top footballers in the world. But he just seems to me like he's good enough. Like. There's things that he always misses. There's things that he always doesn't execute. It's not like he has perfect execution. And he doesn't have any kind of extraordinary footballing ability that I can perceive. Like, like it's hard to talk about this because he is one of the best footballers in the world. But what I'm saying right now is in the context of all these other incredibly talented footballers. I'm trying to compare because that's when you're talking about these teams, that's what you're trying to compare. None of these players are bad. They're all incredible. They all would smoke us in any kind of normal circumstance or whatever. But it's when you want to make these distinctions at the highest level, you have to kind of talk about in context of everybody else. And in context of all the other players in the Premier League, there's not a lot of things he does that I think are extraordinary. Um... You know, the Champions League goal, as incredible as it was, um, the Champions League final goal that he scored against Man City, um, you know, it was, it was just good enough. You know, it wasn't incredible. It wasn't, you know, spectacular. It was, the chance was there. They made a big error. He was able to capitalize on that, like, in a good enough sort of way. You know, and I think if if Chelsea really wants to be something special, I think we might need to look towards different options or maybe try to find a different position for him. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough conversation, but I'm still really excited to see what formation Chelsea will play. I'm hoping it's going to be a 4-4-2. I think we've looked really good, and especially if we don't sell Hakim Ziyech, him as the right mid of a 4-4-2 I think is extremely dangerous, allowing him to cut in on that left foot and just get great chances to take shots and long passes towards net. You know, the beautiful left foot curling passes. 
you know, and we have a lot of offensive personnel as well. Like, we have plenty of players we could play as left mid as well. You know, in addition, I don't think it would be Sterling. I think Sterling would be one of the central players. But it could be Sterling. Maybe it is Sterling. He starts way out left and is able to come in and, you know, cut that ball in, do a rotation with one of the strikers to create even more mayhem. You know, I think that would be... um, that would be really positive. Either way. Either way. I like the idea of doing a four-four-two. It's just, can we pull it off defensively? That's the tricky bit. Can we pull it off defensively? We're going to find out when we get Koulibaly and Kunde in the door. And um, I think I'm going to cut it off there. Is it panic time for Chelsea after losing to Charlotte FC? No. Definitively no. It is not panic time. The preseason loss can come down to, let me say, four big factors, which is squad composition. Tuchel's just trying to try everyone out. Formation that we played, which is only beneficial if you have incredible wingbacks and is also a formation that is particularly weak to the 4-4-2 in many ways, which Charlotte FC was playing. A late and unlucky handball by Trev Chalaba that, you know, I'm not going to hold against him because as much as he should be focusing on that, it's a preseason game in the 90th minute and he's trying to just slide and save a goal. And his arm went out for balance, you know, and the Charlotte player was being savvy, kicked it across his body knowing his arm was there and won them a PK. And then Edu Mendy being an incredible open play goalkeeper, but as we all know, not ideal for penalty kicks. Anything can happen in penalty kicks. So for those four reasons, Chelsea lost this game. Of those four reasons, only two of them are applicable during the season, and one of them is preventable. And what I mean by that is, Tuchel isn't going to be picking random players in the season. This was a preseason match. When it's in the Premier League, when it's in any important leagues, Tuchel is going to be creating and formulating a team, not just throwing players out there to see what happens. Two, we may play different formations. I can't imagine Tuchel trying to play the 3-4-3 with Alonso at the left. If he does that anymore, I am going to pull my hair out because the dude cannot play that position. Even I think Alonso would be better playing as a left mid, to be frank playing in that position in a 4-4-2 rather than a wingback. The guy is not physical or fast enough to play solid defense and then get all the way up the pitch quickly enough where it's dangerous. Um, The Trev Chalaba handball, I'm not going to say that can't happen in the regular season. That's just kind of unlucky. I think with better focus, less of those things will happen, but I'm not going to say that's never going to happen because Chelsea is going to get unlucky in the season with penalties here and there. But that led to conceding one goal. The reason we didn't win the game wasn't that we conceded a goal. It's because we didn't score five or six goals, which we probably should have. And that has to do with the squad selection and the formation. And then the Edu Mendy part, which is just we can substitute him out at the end of games in that situation in the future. 
Um, and even though that's not going to necessarily mean we win the penalty shootouts, it's just something that can be altered, you know, within that process. So three of those things can be changed. The squad selection, the formation, and the Mendy being in goal on PKs. You know, some bad luck is going to happen. But with those three things changed, I think, you know, in this game, Chelsea would have won easily. I mean, they wouldn't have even made to penalty. So it really is the squad selection and the formation is what it comes down to. Kind of... I don't want to say lazily picking the squad, but just picking a squad to get everyone out there and then picking the wrong formation. Like, I think that if you're going to play an unstructured kind of situation like this, play the 4-4-2 or play a 4-3-3 or something, or 4-2-3-1 even. That's a really solid formation, just basically solid formation. The 3-4-3 is technical. It needs to be orchestrated very, very well. And if it isn't, you know, this is what it looks like. Very sloppy, only creating chances on the outside of the box towards the edges where you can't really get good shots off. And this is why, you know, Chelsea only scored one goal. So anyways, guys, I'm going to wrap it up here. This has been the Josh Thoughts official sports podcast, episode 27. Should Chelsea panic? No. Do not panic. This was a good, you know, exhibition match. Charlotte FC gets to feel like, you know, they're the top of the world. Really, this is just the start of training for the boys. And um, tough challenge. Got to head into the year strong. I'll catch you guys later.